Welcome to the Stunt Show, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Mayor Furtick. You're listening to the Stunt Show on the Nahum Siegel Network. Heard every Thursday at 1 p.m. By a ro- brought to you by a rotating cast of characters. It's my turn this week. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, stay tuned after this show. Throwback Thursday, a vintage episode of JM and the AM from the archives coming up next. But in the meantime, we have a fascinating conversation that, uh, at least I think it's going to be fascinating. It's a subject that in- has uh, alternately interested me and appalled me for quite a while. And we've brought in some uh, really expert and well-spoken guests who uh, can share their thoughts and experiences. The subject today is converts and how they are treated and welcomed in the Orthodox community. So to, uh, to that end, our two guests who I'd like to introduce are Bethany Mandel, who's a senior contributor to The Federalist and a prolific contributor to the uh, conservative voice on Twitter. Welcome, Bethany. Thanks. Um, and our other guest is Skylar Bader, who is the blogger behind You're Not Crazy, which was originally called You're Not Crazy for Converting. Right? Welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you both for joining us. I know it's, uh, it was a schlep to the Lower East Side, <laughs> and uh, I know I can, uh, I can second that. It is Thursday, June 30th, the 24th day of Sivan. That's our, official air, our, our original air date in 2016, 5776. If you're listening to this on the archives at any point in the future, welcome. Hope the future is going well for you, and, uh, <laughs> and thanks for tuning in. Um, the, uh, the past week brought some news, uh, brought some news from Israel. Uh, which we'll recap in a line or two, but I just want to stress that the purpose of our conversation today is not to discuss any of the politics um, that surround the subject of conversion uh, between the American rabbinate and the Israeli rabbinate, between the chief rabbinate of the state of Israel and some of the uh, some of their uh, um, other you know local local rabbinic uh, organizations in Israel. That's not the purpose of this. It happens to be that in the past week a uh, a convert who was converted here in the U.S. Um, by Rabbi Lukstein and uh, sent to, and who decided to move to Israel. Uh, that conversion was accepted by the rabbinate, which is not something that was a given necessarily, since there's been a lot of politics about that stuff. And then a local rabbinate decided to challenge that conversion. You can imagine the uh, the upheaval that could cause in the life of somebody who has uh, made the decision to uh, to convert to Judaism. You could imagine the upheaval that could only be compounded if that individual is now married, has kids, and so forth and so on. This is uh, these are very serious um, issues that can be very very disruptive. So, uh, with that background, um, I'd like to discuss and I'd like to uh, ask my guests to join me in discussing and sharing their experiences as converts in the American Jewish community outside the halachic politics and just, you know, day-to-day life. Um, Bethany, would you, uh, you converted to Judaism when? Um, I think it was 2011. 2011. Yeah. And um, I'm not going to ask you, unless you care to share, you know, obviously your, your whole story, but basically, if I understand correctly, your father, mm-hmm. your Late father, yeah, late, yeah, was Jewish, yep, and your mom not, and you've you've written about, and I I read what you write very often. You've written a a lot about always feeling part of the Jewish community. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I didn't know I wasn't Jewish until a birthright trip um, in two thousand and six. Wow. Yeah, and that was like a really awkward moment for my tour guide when (laughs) someone it came up in conversation because. 
I had my mom's last name. My last name was, my maiden name was Murphy. Mm -hmm. And so everyone just assumed that my last name was my father's and so that my mother was Jewish. And so it came up on the tour bus as, as it does when you're on a a tour bus for 10 days with 40 people. Right. Um, And so I just said, oh no, my, you know, actually I had my mom's name and and my dad was the Jewish one. My, My mom wasn't. And so someone said sort of out of hand, oh, so then you're not, you're not really Jewish. And I was like, what? What was the group? Which group were you with? Because for a group, let's say from the reform movement that that, yeah. you know, honors a paternal, you know, a. Uh, and that's where I was. That's what I affiliated with my entire right. life was the reform movement. So I had no way. And, nobody, um, and somebody suddenly, suddenly says this to you. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Um, I was with my Rutgers Hillel um, sort of. So it was every sort of person on the spectrum, but mostly like reform and conservative. There's very, there's other Orthodox trips that people went on. Mm -hmm. Mine, theoretically, you could be Orthodox on my birthright trip, but no one actually was because you would have been the only person keeping Mm -hmm. Shabbos. So it would have been really awkward. Right. Um, So what, uh, briefly, what was the, the evolution of that? And then, you know, in broad strokes, what was the welcome that you received? How do you feel about it? Um, so that was 2006 when I really found out that I wasn't Jewish and I I decided pretty, pretty quickly that I was going to take the plunge and and go Orthodox. Um, I had been really sort of involved in the Orthodox community on my campus and I was sort of lured in by the beauty of Shabbos meals and as, as you do. Right. Um, and so I was like, okay, I guess I'll convert. But the process isn't so clear, necessarily. I asked a lot of people, and nobody really understood how to go about converting, because everyone that I was friends with was already Jewish. And right. so no one... <laughs> go figure. Yeah. yeah. So everyone's like, I don't know how you become Jewish, because I already am. Right. Never uh, had to deal with that. Yeah. So so it took a while to sort of figure it out. And in the meantime, I was sort of doing my own thing, and, and not quite ready to, to become Orthodox yet. I wanted to travel. I wanted to... Sure. to explore the world and and that's not easy to do when you're keeping kosher and keeping shabbos um so i finally sort of figured it out thanks to the interweb and um and i um i contacted so i was living in cambodia for the year Mm -hmm. as you do who doesn't yeah for the year everyone spends a year in cambodia yeah teaching fifth grade to impoverished cambodians Skylar, you've probably spent a year or two in Cambodia yourself. Yeah, you got dysentery. Actually, a few I times. moved to France for a year and taught English. <laughs> yeah, I got wow. dysentery a few times. Yeah, um, that's a great weight loss technique. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so while I was there, I, I was finally able to come in contact with a rabbi who was actually answering my emails in Cambodia. Yeah, yeah. Was the rabbi in Cambodia no, also? No, no. You were, you were just. I was in Cambodia. Actually, I became good friends with the Chabad rabbi in Cambodia, which is like a total side subject, and he's fantastic, and I love that family. <laughs> Butmans, hello. Shout out. Okay. Um, so I contacted um, uh, Frandell, Barry Frandell in D.C., and he was the only one who would answer my emails. I, I, before I left for Cambodia, I contacted several New York area rabbis mm-hmm. and asked to get together, and I got stood up a couple times and I was like literally packing my bags to move to Cambodia and like setting aside two hour blocks to like meet with rabbis to say like, okay, I would like to get a, a reading list together and get my stuff together so that I can get on the plane with a suitcase of books so that I can study and then come back and be ready. Mm-hmm. And I was stood up several times in New York. And so I left for Cambodia not having begun the process with any rabbi, which was really frustrating. But then while I was there, I was finally able to get in touch with with someone in D.C. who was answering my emails and who was actually nice and supportive and 
Um, and I knew someone who was converting with him already, and she sent me her reading list. She emailed mm-hmm. me her reading list. And so when I came back in December, I, packed, I brought a suitcase of books with me back. Um, and so I read every book on the, on the book list while I was living in Cambodia. <laughs> wow. Um, if you'd like, in, in a line or two, you can get the whole rest of the Freundel story out of the way. People, know, people yeah, are aware yeah. of the story. Some people know your name. Uh, or we can just move on. But uh, Well, it turned out to be an unfortunate experience. Right. As pe- <laughs> people are aware of the story over by Barry Freundel and the fact that he is, I believe, in jail. Yeah, he's Well-deserved. And uh, so let's move past that story. Sure. Um, so we'll come back to you in a moment. Uh, Skylar, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a, you know, a thumbnail sketch of your uh, you know, entry point. Well, like a lot of people, I met a nice Jewish boy. <laughs> um, he, like Bethany, actually didn't find out that uh, because he was patrilineal, there was an issue until we were talking about getting married. And uh, we sat down with the rabbi to talk about it. And he looked at us and said, why would I marry two non-Jews and walked out of the room? Walked out of the room? Yeah. Like rudely? I guess. I don't, I don't know how to do that politely. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, but... Because I became interested in the Orthodox community, mm-hmm. um, that was the beginning and the end of our relationship pretty quickly. And uh, I ended up going forward, a few starts and stops along the way. And um, so that was when I was 19, and I converted when I was 27. Wow. That, is, that, is that based on your experience with other people who have done this? Is that a, a time frame that's common? Um, everything is completely dependent on each person, and it's even hard to measure what is that timeline. Mm-hmm. I came into the community, I started attending shul at 19, but I didn't really get serious about any conversion until I think I was 24, 25, uh, and I had a conservative conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hit a lot of roadblocks in the first Orthodox community I was in that I didn't realize maybe people weren't as observant as I thought. Mm-hmm. So when I would ask halakhic questions on the books that I was reading, like, how do you actually do this in practice? People didn't know how to answer, so wow. they'd give me kind of a pat answer yeah. that didn't answer my question. So I came away from college with the idea of how does anyone be Orthodox, especially right. it was largely a elderly community. Um, did, did they not know or they didn't know how to answer questions of somebody who was thinking about So I think the best example, converting. my favorite one, was yeah. um, I read, you don't tear toilet paper on Shabbos. Right. And I was like, I'm a woman. What do I do? And so I asked, and they said, uh, you just don't tear toilet paper on Shabbos and quickly scurried away. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. That's really sad. Um, so from that period, I have a lot of weird humras that mm-hmm. I accidentally picked up. Like, I didn't think I could walk on grass on Shabbos for years. But, but you've straightened this stuff out, yeah, right? Yeah, for the most part. But okay. occasionally something will come up and people will look at me funny and I'll be like, oh, this isn't right, is it? Wow. <laughs> Awkward. Yes. That pretty much defines my life, so it's okay. Right. But from that, a great blog was, was born. True. Um, and when I, uh, was in law school, mm-hmm. that's when I really started working towards the Orthodox conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem was I lived in a very small Orthodox community and I had to wait until I graduated law school in order to move. I was given the choice because I was single. I could either go to LA or New York. Right. Um, and nowhere else I was allowed to convert. So I ended up in New York. The thing that, co- that, that strikes me, and I'd like to ask you both to talk about this a little more, is that all of this stuff seems 
so random and so arbitrary mm-hmm. from person to person, experience to experience, rabbi to rabbi. It just seems totally arbitrary. Because no one knows yeah. what, what they're supposed to be doing. Even the sponsoring rabbis today, yeah. they have no idea what they're supposed to do. They're kind of fumbling along just as much as you are. But we look at them and, they're like, and we think that they should know what they're doing because they're the rabbi. Um, there's a lot of a hero worship power uh, dynamic going on there that we're like, you must know what's going on. You're mm-hmm. the rabbi. Right. But not. Yeah. They haven't been given guidance. Um, and even the Bate Den may not always have a procedure in place. They may not know. And every situation is so unique that you have to address each individual problem as it comes up. But people don't always know when to ask or how to ask. When you say each situation is so unique, you mean each each convert? Mm-hmm. And I, the situations you encounter there, like, do you have a roommate who's Jewish or not? That's a big question, and that's going to be answered by different rabbis differently. Mm-hmm. Um, what if you live with your parents? A lot of people still live with their parents or in a dorm where they don't have their own kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, so every situation has to be analyzed individually for that yeah. person. And I've, I've heard a lot of different answers that um that people get to to the same sorts of questions yeah um one of them is like what if you're already legally married to a jew yes um and i've i've heard the the scope of okay let's just convert you and be done with it Mm -hmm. to um making the process so onerous that they end up not doing it and and whether or not yeah and whether or not they make them move out which is a really big problem if you have young children yes and they don't give you a timeline for yes. when you can move back in together. Yeah, that is true. You don't know how long of a lease you need. Yeah. That's a pretty common problem. Wow. So we, somehow we, we are starting to get into the rabbi <laughs> part of this. But I, I'm curious. Uh, this is, some of it is mind-boggling. But um, I'm curious about how before the conversion, how, how, the commun- how members of communities um, received you, uh, whether they were welcoming how they responded to the process that you were going through to the extent that they were familiar or aware of it. Um, Bethany, any, any thoughts or experiences that stick out? Um, so I converted in a really weird community. I was, I converted in Washington DC, which was uh, like a convert factory. Um, because so, of Freundel. Because of Freundel. Yeah. Because um, he was willing to do conversions when almost no one else really was willing to get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, now we sort of understand maybe perhaps why, um, I, I think that, that setting up secret camera wasn't his only reason. I don't think that he was pure evil, but, um, not pure, but definitely up there. (laughs) Mostly, mostly dead, you know, to quote the princess bride. Um, (laughs) but I, I, so I I think that Washington DC is maybe a third of the community is either a convert or converting. Yeah, it's huge. Are you serious? Yeah, it's it's an it's I never knew that. my my husband who was then my boyfriend would make the joke that um what what would he say about Washington? He would say um you know it was weird to sort of come across someone who um who was who was born Jewish. And so you'd have like a meal of people and if 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 there was more than half of the people were born Jewish at the table, it was an anomaly. That is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So it was a weird, um, it was a weird community to convert in because mm-hmm. everyone was really converting or had converted, and um, and they were um, and they were really sort of familiar with the whole process. But at the same time, everyone knew that conversion was the rabbi's baby, and that no one really wanted to get into it. Mm-hmm. And no, it was it was sort of a thing that. 
a lot of people weren't happy about that he was so focused on conversion instead of really sort of doing his job. It wasn't, yeah, like going to to people's houses who had um, who had had a death in the family or hospitalization or any number of things that he really was dropping the ball. Regular pastoral stuff. Yes, yes, right. You're listening to The Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Fertig. My guests are Bethany Mandel, a senior contributor to The Federalist and a prolific writer on Twitter, and Skylar Bader, the blogger behind You're Not Crazy, as well as an attorney. And they are our guests today, and I thank them both for coming in for this issue of this, this edition of The Stunt Show, discussing uh, the issue of conversion and how converts are welcomed, greeted, dealt with, approached, um, and any other word you can think of in the Orthodox community. And... Um, it's been my understanding in the past that very often the answer is not so well. <laughs> so uh, we, we'd like to talk about that a little bit as well. But first, uh, just to uh, get back to what you were saying, Bethany, you you mentioned so you you described this community that you were converting in, which is a little bit unusual given the, the large number of people who were either in the process of conversion or who had completed that process. Um, but in general, how did how did Orthodox how did the Orthodox community? Um, accept or approach uh, the the fact that you were going through this process? Um, so once I complete, completed the process, which was within, I think, two weeks I left Washington, I, um, for any number of reasons, um, just decided to leave D.C. Um, and I waited until my conversion was done so that I could sort of go and, and have sort of a clear path to moving forward with my life. Right. Getting married, getting a new job, yada, yada. Um and so when I moved, I wasn't necessarily open about the fact that I converted because um, when you are open about that fact, a lot of people sort of like at a Shabbos meal will say, oh, so tell me your life story. Tell me about your spiritual journey. And um, None of your business. None of your business. Yeah. Right. And so I just didn't really want to have that conversation. So I, I would sort of tell people when I became comfortable with them mm-hmm. um, and then if I knew that they wouldn't sort of be that person at a Shabbos meal that would say like, oh, around 15 other people, would you mind sharing with me your entire spiritual journey over like, but before we make Kiddush, if you wouldn't right. mind, because then we have to <laughs> Or at be least quiet. let's be done by the fish. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, I, uh, I sort of held it sort of close to the chest and then I wrote a piece that ended up going viral, the Convert's Bill of Rights, which right. I didn't think about before I wrote and if I were to go back in time, I probably wouldn't write. Because you were, what, oversharing or? Um, oversharing, and now everyone knows I'm a convert, and that's not necessarily, I, I don't love that sort of label because mm-hmm. people hold converts to different standards. How so? Um, so um, most, I would say like half of the women in my community don't cover their hair and wear pants. Mm-hmm. That's just the standard in my community. I live in Highland Park, New Jersey. And um, when I do it, people ask me, well, didn't your Besden require you to do so? And I'm like, well, it's really none of your business. And would you ask that question of, like, whatever? I'm trying, I'm thinking didn't of a real person. did the Base Yaakov you escaped from require <laughs> yeah. you to? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking of names, but I can't say their names on air. But, like, right. very Jewish names. Like, you right. would never ask that person in sure. the community who was born Jewish that question. But that question is somehow in some way that I can't fathom appropriate to ask me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I sort of, I fit along the standards of my community, but I'm the only one in my community that would have that question asked of them. Right. Um, So there's that sort of double standard that I just, I don't really feel like subjecting myself to. Um, But but you did. But I did. Yeah. And so I regret that. (laughs) 
hear that. And it was actually funny, the day that it published, someone came up to me at an event at Shul and said, I had no idea you converted. Why did you convert? And I was like, did, did you read the, the piece? Because it said on, like, it was like the third one, like, don't ask probing questions of people you barely know just because they're converts. And I was like, that was like the first inkling when I was like, ah, this was a really big mistake on my part. Wow. <laughs> Um, however, though, it, it it did have a lot of, uh, I'm just getting into that for a moment, it did have quite the uh, quite the fallout, yeah. and probably in a positive way, largely. For everyone else, I'm sure. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> exactly. Put aside your monumental discomfort and eternal regret of having yes, written yes. it, uh, it, it actually did land very well. Yeah, and it was, it was really shocking to me because um, Skylar and I have been in a Facebook group for several years now. And, um, and all of the things that I wrote were not news to any of us in, our, in the group. And I sort of like, it was 2 a.m. I was pregnant with a like seven-month-old in the other room. It was 2 a.m. And I was just on my phone and I was like, I have so much rage. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it on my phone and my husband was walking out of the door the next morning. And I said, I wrote this piece and I, I have a rule. I don't write for free. And this was the only time I've ever broken this rule was for the Times of Israel because I was like, this is such a nothing burger of a piece. No one's going to pay me for it. I'm just going to throw it on the Times of Israel. And, I, and he, at that point in my career, he was proofreading everything I was writing. Your husband. Yeah, because he's an editor. Can we explain who and is that oh, okay? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So he's the op editor at the New York Post. Right. So he's a darn Seth good editor. Mandel. Seth Mandel, yes. He knows a thing or two about words. He has yes. good words. Yes, he's good yeah. at words. So he was proofing everything I was writing, and I said, like, don't even bother with this. This is, like, nobody's going to read it. I'm just, for my own sort of, this was a week after my conversion rabbi was arrested, and this mm-hmm. was everything I wanted to get off my chest sure. for years. And finally it was like, well, at least I can do this now. <laughs> and so I, I put it on the Times of Israel, and I, I said to Seth, as he was leaving the door, I was like, nobody's going to read this. Don't worry about it. And he was sort of like, I have a tendency to run my mouth without thinking. And this is like, if you follow me on Twitter, you realize this. And so he was like, what did you say exactly? And I was like, nothing that I have never said to you. And he's like, yeah, but what of those things did you put in writing? And I was like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. No one's going to read it. It's really, it's fine. (laughs) And so he walked out the door sort of like with trepidation. Right. And then he gets to his desk and he sits down and he opens the Times of Israel newsletter and it's, the top the of the story, time, right. the Times of Israel newsletter, mm-hmm. and he clicks on it, and he's like, "That sounds awfully like what my wife told me she was writing today." And he opens it, and at that point, it had like ten thousand shares or something. And two he, hours later, yeah, two hours later or something, right. and he was like, "So yeah, I read it <laughs> now, <Right. laughs> along with like tens of thousands of other people." And I was like, "Yeah, sorry about that. I really realized that it would go viral. Didn't put some thought into this. I apologize." <laughs> It was a very interesting piece. Yeah, yeah. It, and it really I, I didn't, I, it, it was, um, it was, uh, it was inspired by a couple of people, mm-hmm. not Frindell, actually. Um, and I didn't name names. So I think that was sort of. Kind. Yes. <laughs> so I think that was what sort of saved my, my behind with my husband. Is there one point in it, one of the points that you made in it that stands out above all else as having gotten the most reaction? Positive, negative? Mm. What would that be? I don't know. Um, I think people are really sort of fixated on the rabbinic politics. Um, and uh, people sort of, I think more than any other, like sort of your average, like Bubby in, in the street wants to do something. 
So they're like, well, how can I, how can I find them to invite them into my home to give them meals? Right. Um, and so that was sort of, that was one piece that a lot of people contacted me and they were like, I want to do something. I want to feed them because that's what Jewish women do. It's they basically a positive, re- you know, <laughs> positive impulse. Yes. So very interesting. Um, so Skylar, you have, uh, you have reacted to things that have happened to you in this, in the course of these experiences by writing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, have there been any... What are some of the things that you've written that have had the most impact? I think it's just the fact that I was taking basic questions that I encountered, and as I found the answers, I put it out there to be like, is this a real answer? So nobody else and, would think that you don't walk on grass on Shabbos. Yes. <laughs> right. So um, I just found that at the time, it was um, 2010, I think, there weren't resources for conversion candidates at the time. And I lived in a community, as I said, where I was the mm-hmm. only person – or. This was in a separate community at the time. I lived in several communities um, while I was in the conversion process. And there was no one to answer my questions. And in fact, the community I lived in at the time, the rabbi had a um, policy that he wouldn't answer any of my questions unless it was in a public class. So I had to tailor my questions to whatever the topic of the class was. It turned into a very weird situation and a bullying situation. So that was a separate problem. Did you move? Um, I did. I did leave that community, um, as did he. So with um, no one else to really turn to, I found what was called the Twitpaha on Twitter, (laughs) um, which is, I believe, actually how Bethany and I met. I have no idea at this point. We moved to the same community, so it all kind of worked out. But I started writing on my blog just to take these questions that I had found answers to and put them out and born Jews found it and um, who are already Orthodox and would say, yeah, that's right. Or here's something you haven't thought about, or here's a spinoff on that. Um, or here's something else to find out about it. And so over the years, as I learned more, I just started taking more and more questions that I had identified and writing out answers so that people would find, especially to the social questions. What are these unwritten social rules right. that are going on? And there's well, so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also the language of it. There's mm-hmm. so many words that for one, you don't know how to pronounce. Yeah, um, I managed to give myself a Hebrew name I couldn't pronounce at the time. <laughs> I saw a post you wrote about not needing to speak yeshivish. Yes. Which that was is, brilliant. It is yeah. something that's really important. People right. feel like they have to fit, fit this mold. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of the opposite personality style as Bethany is that I'm very open about being a convert. It's rare that I get 20 minutes into a, a meal before it comes up because mm-hmm. it's it's just so much about who I am and how it colors my experiences and the stories I tell. Mm-hmm. And I'm a Southerner, so I have a lot of stories. From where? Uh, Tennessee. Wow. So it and comes here, out. Here in, in New York, that's a lot stranger than being a con. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's kind of like being like, oh, and I'm a lawyer. That also mm-hmm. colors how much, how I think about things, how right. I approach situations mm-hmm. and the stories that have happened to me. So it comes out very frequently, and I'm very open about it. And I found that people generally are, people mean well. Right. They do, And one change that I have noticed in the 13 years that I've been here that uh, now people at least apologize before they ask me really personal questions. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Interesting. That's progress. It is progress. I mean, it's, it's a little sad, but it's progress. Well, I wanted to ask you both, actually, along those lines. We, we've talked a lot about people being maybe thoughtless, maybe people being a little bit out there, a little bit forward is anybody unkind 
there's a handful. I mean, I, I think that there's been a handful, and of course they stick out in my mind because I have Irish Alzheimer's. I only remember the slights. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those like... I know someone who has that who is definitely not Irish, but that's a fascinating <laughs> diagnosis. I got it from my grandfather. That's who was fascinating. Irish. Um, I know somebody I have to mention that too. <laughs> yeah. um, so I definitely remember every one of those instances where someone was unkind, mm-hmm. but they were unkind people. And if it were not for the conversion thing, it would have been they would have been unkind about something else. They would have found another way to be a yeah. jerk. Yeah, I would say that too. But I would also add. Something that I think is a problem that people should realize is unkind that they don't mm-hmm. is asking people to be a Shabbos goy for them. Mm, yeah, that's a real post conversion. No, 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 during the conversion oh, oh, process. Oh, okay, and oh, yeah, that's as a or whole, or as a, asking you how kosher your conversion was before asking you if you want to be a Shabbos goy. True. So like, oh, so who converted you? Was that like as they're sort of the wheels are turning? Like, is she really Jewish or can she turn on the bathroom Holy cow! <laughs> Or in, in that, actually, in that instance, it was, there was Meshavel, um, there was uh, Meshavel wine on the table and they were wondering. Meshavel yeah, wine yeah, on the table yeah, yeah. and the, oh. or non-Meshavel and they were wondering if I could, if I could touch it. And so they, before Kiddush started, like jumped into the really, really probing questions and were like, I know that you understand because the wine on the table. This I just post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was like married and everything and sitting next to my husband and they were like, I just, I need to ascertain me like. 19 year old me if you're really jewish before we open this wine and let you touch it and i was like thank you so much for that consideration i really appreciate it um i'll let my rabbi and my best know that um that you had their back at the shabbos meal <laughs> you've given them your stamp of approval yeah yeah a 19 year old yeah. and it's problematic because so many people have prior conversions mm-hmm. and there is a problem of suffolk jews you right. know um, so, like, for instance, a really common question that I've always been surprised by is, so how do you break Shabbos? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. What does that mean? Half. Um, well, there's this pervasive idea that um, it, every conversion uh, candidate has to break Shabbos in oh, some way. Right, right, They right. can't hold mm-hmm. Shabbos fully, and that is true. Right. But there are a lot of people who their beitins have told them, you need to keep Shabbos because there is the off chance that you might halakhically be a right. Jew, even though we don't. Mm-hmm. recognize that standard right now. Right. Um, but people will often ask it because they want you to do something. And have you done it, it this week? Did you use up your... Yeah, right. You? And isn't that convenient? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. My, my rabbi, Frangel, actually had a, a really great take on that that I appreciated. He said, while that is the case, while you're in the conversion process, you do not know enough about keeping Shabbos that you will have... Ev- like accidentally broken it at some point in the 25 hours inevitably inevitably (laughs) and then when you are ready and you aren't breaking shabbos anymore you'll be jewish so there might be a week or two where you're keeping everything before we get you to the bezdin but you don't i don't want you to intentionally break Mm -hmm. shabbos because you should be in the mindset in the in the mindset of trying to keep shabbos as much as possible and when you are keeping shabbos completely you will be jewish so that's it that's very interesting yeah i appreciated that very interesting. I would say most of the unkind experiences I've had, which I I would say that most of the experiences I've had haven't been unkind. And just because I am so willing to answer questions that are perhaps inappropriate and lead the conversation to something that I think is a good conversation. Right. Um, but dating, that's really where a lot of unkindness happens mm-hmm. and also the racism in the community. Those are two very big issues for converts. Uh, both in the process and after. 
Let's talk about that in a moment. Let's just uh, tell everybody you're listening to The Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. It is Thursday, June 30th, the 24th of Sivan. My name is Mayor Fertig. Thank you for spending some time today with the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned a half hour or so from now, a uh, throwback Thursday vintage episode of JM and the AM dug out from our archives by our uh, by our content guru, Mark Zomik, I would assume. And uh, stay tuned for that because those are always interesting. And I'd also like to say thanks to Rachel Wolf at the uh, American Committee for Shari Tzedek, my boss, who is uh, so nice and understanding about taking a little time to come uh, come do these tapings. Of course, the American Committee for Shari Tzedek is, uh, is a sponsor of the Nahum Siegel Network, and very proudly so. So, uh, so hello, Rachel. And uh, let's continue our conversation with Bethany Mandel, a senior contributor to The Federalist and a prolific writer on Twitter, and Skylar Bader, who is the blogger behind You're Not Crazy, which, uh, when it was first conceived, was You're Not Crazy for Converting. And that is our subject matter today. And, Skylar, you were just saying that uh, a, a, a significant, uh, significant instances of uh, unkindness that you've encountered or that you've heard of others encountering um, involve the questions uh, around dating. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Um, well, when Shadchanim sit down with a new person and mm-hmm. say, are you willing to date a Balchuva or a convert? Right. That's a basic question that Shadchanim right. are asking, and that's problematic. Um, but on my perspective, as I went through the dating process after my conversion, I was kind of thankful for that because anyone who is going to answer the question, I'm not comfortable with that, I don't want them. Right. Um, so it allowed people to opt out of my out of my orbit so that I didn't even have to get on the date and people be like, oh, but you converted? I, I, I would say almost that in the, you know, you'll have to, people could forgive me or they could be upset at me, but in the otherwise uh, already toxic world of Shadchanim and, <laughs> and uh, you know, and dating in the in the from community, that's, all, that's almost benign or almost not as, just as bad as any other question that they ask. True, I mean, but it, we... It, it beats tablecloth questions. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But anyway, if you go back yeah. to Bethany's point about, yeah. you know, checking how kosher sure. your conversion no, is, that also happens. I'm being a little facetious. But it's yeah. even on the um, the websites. They will approve whether your conversion is kosher enough for you to be on the site. Really? So, yeah. There's, so, um, would you remember which, which was all site of them it was? that I yeah. dealt with. Um, no, but wasn't, there was one that I've been promising this guy I was going to write a piece on it and I never got around to it. Which of the dating sites, it says next to your name in bold parentheses, convert. And it's one of the major ones. Do you remember which one it was? No, it's not Saw You at Sinai because that's what no. I met my husband on. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh. I'm going to have to look it up. Maybe I shouldn't. I mean, I don't really care if I do because it's not Lush and Heart. It's the truth. Yeah. But um, one of the sites says, and, and a convert took a screenshot of it and sent it to me. And it said next to his name, and his name is very Jewish, um, it said convert in parentheses in bold writing. Uh, considering all the things it says in the Torah about how to treat <laughs> converts, what's your reaction to that? It's insane. <laughs> it's also just pointless. Like, what is gained by that? Right. Um, I mean, what's gained by it is turning converts off of the decision that they made. That's what's yes, gained by it. Yes, it. it drives people off the derech. Yeah. Is, is that Absolutely. common? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, w- I would say of the people who were single when they converted, mm-hmm. this whole dating situation being treated in a completely substandard way. I mean, I wrote in my piece... Um, it was actually funny when I wrote this, I wrote in my piece, I knew a lawyer who was constantly paired off with, um, with the same guy by multiple Shadchanim and multiple sites, um, both individual Shadchanim and then websites 
she was paired off with a janitor with severe um, limitations. limitations. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was this high-powered, fantastic, brilliant, gorgeous, skinny, just I would date her if I could, lawyer. (laughs) And, um, And she was always paired off with the same guy because he was a convert. And I was. And these were the only two converts in all of the the orbit of all of these websites. I guess so. That's weird. And but it also happens to people of color. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. They people assume every person of color is a convert, for right. one, which is That's a problem. Right. Um, but also, say, oh well, you're black and she's black, so you must, must have be much in common. Together. <laughs> right. So it was funny though when I wrote that. So many people contacted me and said, oh, are you talking about X, Y, Z? And I was like, I don't know who that is. Right. And it, that experience had happened to so many people that they thought I was talking about someone else. Like, fantastic high-power lawyer paired up with someone completely inappropriate for her because, on the basis of the fact that she was the, they were both converts. Right. And that it happened so frequently that people just assumed they were talking about – I was talking about their friend. So do you both know people who have been – who have had orthodox conversions and then walked away? Oh, yeah. Yes. Lots. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Now, to be fair, I also know many Bali Chuva who've also walked away. Not a, I don't know as nearly as many. I know a lot more converts, so I guess it's kind of tilted in that direction, but... I know I a lot s- of Bali Chuvas. I don't know nearly as many who went off the Derek as converts did. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's... I feel like there's It's very common. It's a Let's common problem, yes. <laughs> that I know both groups come into the Orthodox community, they're... Um, they're really bothered by the lack of interpersonal mitzvot in the community. Mm-hmm. That's a nice way to put that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, well, we're, we're focusing on what color shirt you wear, but not cheating on your taxes. Right. Um, and that, I think, is one of the major things that it all comes down to the same issue of not being minches. We're not being good people. And they're saying it's a common phrase. You shouldn't judge Judaism by the Jews. Right. But we do. And if you find that you can't live in your community because people are constantly cheating and you're trying to live mm-hmm. a good life or right. they're gossiping or they're treating people poorly. Or um, I recently heard of someone um, who is African-American and overheard in shul. Someone leaned over and said, who's the N-word? So you have things like that. Of course, people go off the derrick when this happens. Right. <laughs> like, I... It's you almost like, say, why would they hang around? Yeah. Exactly. You right. keep doing the same thing and think you're going to get a different outcome. That's right. the definition of crazy. Oh, right. Insanity. Right. Exactly. So I'm not surprised that people go mm-hmm. off the derrick and we blame them as individuals without saying what's wrong in our community. And we also have that with people who should be converted and uh, families who've adopted children who should be converted. And mm-hmm. people give them the runaround. The rabbis give them the runaround. About converting a child who's been adopted? Yes. Yeah. I know a family that um, they were given the runaround for eight years, got up to six months before the older son's bar mitzvah. Not surprisingly, they left the community. It, it, why? Why do we do these things? Yeah, I, I, know, I, one of, I know a lot of heartbreaking stories now. And I think one of the most personally frustrating for me, and mm-hmm. I think that you know this woman, they were civilly married and they sort of became religious together. And, um, and they, she was much more religious than he was, and she was much more in it, which is often the case with converts and, and born Jewish husbands. And, um, and she really wanted to be Orthodox and her husband was like, oh, okay. And so they started to go through the process and they got such a runaround and they were both poor students 
and they were told they had to move out and they had to live separately before their conversion and then they could get remarried and then they could move in together but they couldn't even they could barely afford rent as it was Mm -hmm. and they were never given a timeline of like this is how long this will take these are the steps these are the things we'll have to do it was just sort of um let's tell them this and then just leave it open and if they're really sincere then they'll move out with no like with no definite timeline of when they can move back in together as husband and wife, which they've been living for years as, and move on with their lives. And and it came to the point where the the university programs that they were both doing were ending, and they had to move. They had to move on with their careers. They couldn't languish in their community. And they kept on saying, we want to do this. Like, help us. Like, give, give us information. Like, we can do this for three months or six months or nine months. But you need to tell us how long so that we can plan right. appropriately. We, we have to be able to know if we have to sign a lease or if we have or if it's only going to be six weeks, we'll move in with a friend like we need this information. And they were given such a runaround that they they ended up dropping out of the process. She dropped out of the process. And they moved and they're living an orthodox life. And eventually I hope they'll have children, but they won't be Jewish. Halachically, I personally would consider them Jewish. After everything they've gone through. See, um, that's the problem. We have this idea of if you were really sincere, mm-hmm. you would do X, Y, and Z. Um, but the problem is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you leave, mm-hmm. then obviously you were unfit. Right. Um, but well, I think we're driving away people who really have Jewish neshamas and need to be here. Well, by the way, this is this is not a... This is not a an attitude that is unique to this subject in the Orthodox sure. community. I mean, think about... Um, think about people who have been abused True. and different things, and they wind up on drugs or mm-hmm. suffering from mental health issues. And uh, just just in the last six months, there have been, and this was uh, this has been publicized and is being talked about seriously. Finally, Thank there have God. been seventy five suicides yeah. or something like that in 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 the Orthodox community in in this region, in the New York of. region that, that we know of, of yeah. in the last six months. And so, you know, the, it becomes it, it's very easy to suggest that it's a self fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. I, maybe I'm not phrasing that right. It's very easy to suggest, oh yeah, they were troubled. No. They became troubled because of what happened to them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it, that's a sort of a prevailing attitude. It's very easy to write things off. And the problem that in the way. conversion context mm-hmm. is when we have people in the conversion process and that idea we know is there, it means that you have a choice of subjecting yourself to emotional or financial abuse because if you want to convert, you mm-hmm. know you have to just deal with it and get over it. Um and you know that you don't have the um, people to come to your side. Yeah. And it's, in my case... What do, you, what do um, you mean by that? So, for instance, in my case, I said I had a bullying situation with a rabbi. Mm-hmm. And I was kicked out of a bait den because of it. Because they didn't even need to ask my side of the story. Because he's a rabbi and I'm not even Jewish. So, that's how I ended up in New York with a second bait den. And they investigated the case and actually were incredibly respectful and listened to my side of the story went out, found out the other side of the story, and then they made a ruling that I was fine and kosher and converted me. Um, Do you feel comfortable saying which based in that was? Um, the one that uh, converted me was the Manhattan Bait Den for Garrus. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard when you don't have people on your side to speak up for you, which when you're coming into the community, you don't know what the social rules are. Mm-hmm. You don't know who the players are. Mm-hmm. You don't know that something's not halacha. Like some people can say, oh, I need you to do X, Y, or Z, and you don't know that that's not allowed. 
Um, you don't know that, oh, I need you to donate $1,000 to my discretionary fund. You don't know that that's not standard procedure. That happened? Uh, that did not happen to me. Okay. But um, financial exploitation is an issue. Of- that happened to me after my conversion with Frandell. That's actually like never really been reported, shockingly. Huh. He would call everyone that he converted after the fact and bully us into giving money that disappeared. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how that's never been reported. but And even if it didn't disappear, even if he was handing it out to widows and orphans, you still shouldn't call up and say, so now that you're converted, well, of course. you know, I, I really need $1,000 for this mitzvah. Yeah. If he wouldn't call mitzvah the rest. Yeah. I mean, if he didn't do that yeah. to his other congregants. Right. Of course. Um it's a given that the Orthodox community, the Jewish community in general, but certainly the Orthodox community, is uh, has uh, you know devolved authority. There's no central, you know, it's not. There, there's no Vatican. There's no Pope. It's a blessing there's, and a curse. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> there's there's not there's not going to be, and that's probably a very very good thing. But so given that reality, and but given what you know, is, are there any solutions to these problems? I think we just need these to challenges. Yeah, we need more. Instead of SNES campaigns, we need right, well, like uh, interpersonal need, mitzvot campaigns. We, yes, <laughs> we need anything but more SNES campaigns. Yeah. But that's besides the point. But um, we need to also have more social pressure. Of, for instance, um, especially as a lawyer, mm-hmm. I feel very uncomfortable how many people in the community ask me to pay for things in cash, mm-hmm. and I'll say, "I'm sorry, but I really feel that I need to pay in a check." Um, and people will say, oh, do you really? I've had that problem too. It's okay. We all have. <laughs> and it's, um, yeah. but it's something that for me makes me very sure, uncomfortable. I and I feel like I'm one of the few people who says, I'm sorry, I really can't do that. Mm-hmm. If more people did that, or if um, on, um, I chaperoned a trip once and overheard someone when we were out um, who was a from Jew. Uh, bragging to people about how good he was at cheating his taxes. It's very painful. Yeah. It's very, very painful. I mean, I, I think vis-a-vis conversion, though, I, I think I that... I think it the, all goes together. If yeah. we were acting like better people, we would act like better people to each other. Yeah. I, I think, like, specifically on the on the conversion topic, um, the thing that sort of frustrates me the most, and I, I think that you would probably agree, is that I felt like we were alone um, mm-hmm. in a lot of these battles that we had like sure. with you with your best in and um and we did not have the the weaponry that the other side did um we didn't have the family we didn't necessarily have the social group and we didn't have the knowledge to sort of push back um so so one instance um it's practically impossible in my community there i that i'm aware of mm-hmm. where i live there's no synagogue that will accept a convert for membership without providing their paperwork. So if you go in and you write a thousand dollar check for your membership dues Mm -hmm. and you click, I'm a convert on the, on the application, they ask you to prove you're Jewish. And my husband Mm -hmm. is not asked that same question. He's not asked to prove. So let me, let me play devil's advocate for a moment about this because obviously it sounds like this stuff can be mishandled in 300 different ways. But at so, on some level, doesn't doesn't reality require that you just have you have to have some idea, even privately and quietly and very respectfully, that somebody who is presenting themselves as Jewish actually 
But when a is. guest comes to shul on Shabbos, no one asks very if he's actually question. Jewish before giving him and aliyah. Very fair question. And no one right. asks my husband. Right. If, if you say you're born Jewish, you're taken on your word. If you say you're a convert, you're not. And that is I a hear. double standard. So that's, I mean, the analogy that I say, that I give is if the American government set up border control on the Mexican border and only asked mm-hmm. for documentation from people who looked Hispanic, right. they would be rightly accused of racism because that's racist. To only ask Hispanic-looking people to prove they're American is racist. Right. And it's the same asking converts and only converts to prove with documentation that they're Jewish. Right. Um, I think it's one thing to say, oh, who is your who is your rabbi? And just sort of leave it at that because they're so not that marrying you. that would you. be okay. I mean, and to me, yes, because they're not marrying you and there's no requirement that every mem- Jews paying member of your synagogue be halakhically Jewish. Right. And if someone has a question, you know, can you look into my conversion to make sure that it's acceptable according to your standards if I wanted to get married? That's one thing. But if I just want to join with my family, right. you, you don't need to see my documentation. I'm not I'm not a dog at a kennel show. Right. Um, and that's, that's how I feel. Um, and so we are not members of any synagogue in our community and we're not dues paying members, which is personally hard for me because I think that a huge part of being a member of a Jewish community is paying into it. Mm-hmm. And this is how, this is how our entire community is sort of perpetuated. Is, yeah. Is you have to mm-hmm. pay into it. I mean, salaries don't get paid with good intentions and I don't pay dues at any synagogue. And that's because I refuse to be treated differently than my husband. Um, I think it's unethical and I think it's not Jewish. And I don't think, I think it's not halachic the way that I'm asked to prove I'm Jewish. Not very nice either. Yeah. It's not very nice either. Um, and so when I have done so, um, there's no other non-convert member of my community that has withheld their dues for the same reason. So just to, just so I understand, it would be okay with you if they would say, who is the rabbi who converted you? It's You object to the documentation. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be so comfortable with the question. I, I Like, if in a perfect world, they would say, wow, you converted? That's really cool. Thanks for joining the community. And then that's it. Because why do they need to know? I think we've it, given it, a inflated sense of what shul membership means. I had a similar right. experience mm-hmm. when I was in law school. Um, I had finals that were scheduled on Shabbos. And so right. I had to reschedule it with the school. Sure. And I had to, I was a conversion candidate at the time. And I asked the local rabbi, you know, they need a letter to say that I need this get uh, rescheduled for a religious reason. And he hemmed and hawed. And eventually he drafted a letter that I wouldn't have thought anything weird about it if I just read the letter. But he decided to sit me down and explain why he wrote the letter the way he did. And it was... So I didn't say that you're Jewish, and I didn't say that you're a member of the synagogue. I said that you attend my synagogue because I don't want you to go forward and hold up this paper at your next community and say, I'm Jewish because I belong to this shul. I'm like, that doesn't, wow. That doesn't that, prove you're Jewish. I mean, it doesn't prove you're Jewish, and it says, I really don't think you're a good person. Right. I really that, I trust you. So, yeah. so when I sort of confronted my local rabbi about it and I said, why do you do this? He said, well, if you decided to make Aliyah, I would have to then vouch for your Jewishness. And I said, and that's an appropriate time to ask me to vouch for my Jewishness. It's not an appropriate time when, I, when I'm sitting there with my, with my two young kids and saying, like, we want to come to, right. to like, Shabbos playgroup. Right. <laughs> I hear that. No, I really do. I mean, I, I, on the one hand, there's the, the problem of 
without naming any names or movements, you know, kind of quote unquote quickie ish or the perception of quickie conversions. Perception is probably fairer. Yes. And um, very expensive if they are quickie. (laughs) Right. 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 Exactly. And I've seen quickie expensive conversions more on the far right than I have on the far left. Gee, why doesn't that surprise me? Um, So that's that's got to be an issue in some cases but i but i totally hear what you're saying about the whole the whole documentation thing and the 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 level of proof that and the truth of the matter is i could walk into any shul and and i could have lied right i could have lied and said i'm born jewish of course you could have right absolutely and i never would have been questioned but when i said i was a convert that was the point where i was questioned and and i never even thought about the issue until bethany brought it up and Mm -hmm. i was like oh well yeah everyone just asked that question so it didn't even occur to me that i should think that that it didn't occur to me at first either until right. it happened to me. And it was such an inappropriate conversation that I was like, oh, that was this is not an acceptable thing to do. <laughs> right. No, I, I, I hear that entirely specifically. In other words, you can have a conversation back and forth all day long about, well, there are standards and we have to blah, blah, blah. But but we're not asking anybody else to vouch for themselves at all. And the truth is, documentation doesn't even really exist. No. Except, you know ancillary documentation this is a know, picture of my great grandma's grave exactly <laughs> you know i'll never forget when i uh, asked them to do it for Aliyah. I'll, I'll never forget when i worked in uh when i worked in uh, at wcbs many years ago a colleague came in and uh asked me to explain to tell him basically what his hebrew name was he had a bris certificate from whatever cong- you know community he was he had grown up in and i had never heard of such a thing i, I actually kind of said a what and he showed it to me and whatever, and I gave him the information he was looking for. I read it for him, but I had no idea what he was. In the Orthodox community, nothing like that exists. Yeah, my at all. my father had that because he grew up conservative. Right. I mean, it's been like lost, like a bar mitzvah document or uh, well, uh, a bris one. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. But the bottom line is, we do not have that. Mm-hmm. So you can't ask somebody who was born in the community, you know, who was who was Jewish from birth, to present that because he doesn't have it. She doesn't have it. So I, I, I think that your point is uh, is very well taken. It's, it's just it's not fair. It's not nice. Yeah. And, that, that. and that's sort of like when you um, at, at every sort of life, major life event, mm-hmm. you're asked those sorts of questions. And after a while, it grates on you. Like when you right. when you go with a thousand dollar check, by the way, <laughs> you're going to cash. <laughs> right. Um, and then when you go to enroll your kids in school with a much larger check than a thousand dollars, the same question. And I know I know of a woman who. Every time there was turnover administratively at her kid's school, she was asked to come in and sit down and not just provide her documentation, but discuss her journey to, for the administrators to ascertain if she was sincere. Every time there was turnover in the – it sounds like the Every school year. had bigger problems yes. than, uh, than, than ascertaining conversion standards. It yeah. sounds like maybe they had some staff retention issues, some yeah. hiring weaknesses. That's mm-hmm. very, very mm-hmm. interesting. Um, the truth is my takeaway from all of this – my takeaway – not my takeaway, my sort of mindset entering this conversation always um, with people who have converted is frankly one of admiration uh, coupled with, you know, the you're not crazy. Uh, fi- no, I'm just kidding. Uh, admiration for for feeling strongly about this in ways that people who were born Jewish maybe do not. I think it's the very rare observant Jew in my in my experience who feels such a close kinship to Judaism that you can see that even if they hadn't been born into it, that they would have 
gone to it anyway. I, I think it I don't also know if that gives, makes sense, but that's that's my that's my sense. I think it does give Bornju's chizuk. It gives them a strength mm-hmm. yeah. because it confirms, okay, good, I'm in a good place. They're like, I, right. people are choosing this. I must be doing the right thing. Right. Exactly. Well, that, that's nice, also. But I mean, really, on a spiritual level, that it's it's. No, but, but I, I think find that's part of it interesting. psychologically. But yeah, but but then my takeaway, getting back to it, is that even after going through all of this aggravation, the fact that people do hang around. I mean, unfortunately, you know, from the people who are born Jewish, we have quite a, quite a drop away. Also, that's no secret, and it's and it's a big problem. So so to tell me that people who have gone through this voluntarily and then walk away. I hear that. I could un- you could certainly laying out some of the stuff that you've talked about. It's not so hard to understand why some people would would do that, and then it only intensifies the admiration for people who hang around and say, "I, I don't know how to put it really." And I, I'm at, at great risk of God forbid sounding condescending. That is just something that goes through my head. In any event, um, very very interesting. I really appreciate uh, both of your uh, both of your. Uh, both of you coming in to share your experiences. Do you have any closing thoughts? Because we're almost out of time. Um, I think probably uh, one thing that people should know that maybe they don't mm-hmm. is um, everyone doesn't have the obligation to discourage a conversion candidate. <laughs> oh, tell me about that. But I do yeah. <laughs> at every opportunity. That um, the rabbi is the only person who has an obligation to discourage the candidate. And they're saying, oh, I've heard you have to discourage conversion candidates. And so at one meal, um, an older person leaned forward and was like, just so you know, no one will ever really think you're Jewish and will want to marry you. And then sat back with a smile and the family just looked at her horrified. And she was like, you're supposed to discourage them. Yeah, but she was also being honest. (laughs) But but she thought that, you know, it won't really be true. She just felt that she... was supposed to say that she thought she had a positive obligation to do that yeah and people will do it they'll try to lay out all the horrible things in the community Mm -hmm. to try to discourage you it's like it's really not your job right on the other hand they're like how much time do you have yeah i I actually so to a point i agree with that um but i wish i had known what i was getting myself into and i had rose-colored glasses um I think most people do. Yeah. And had I known that most people won't consider me Jewish, despite the like rings of fire that I was jumping through and, um, and the, the problems in the Orthodox community, I probably wouldn't have done it. On the opposite side, I've found people always react. I can only think of maybe one instance where someone hasn't reacted like kind of odd when Mm -hmm. I say that I convert. Everyone has been very kind to me and, um, even I got married to someone who's from from birth, had no problems with the family members, at least not that I know of. So that was luck. One it, of the most maybe. amazing stories yeah. I ever heard, um, a somebody who converted at his Afrof, um told the story of walking with his uh, future father-in-law and brother-in-law in a very, very large, well-known community on a Friday night. And a car drove by with some people who yelled um, it is before, I think before his conversion, but he was wearing a yarmulke. He was, you know, it was Shabbos. And he, uh, they yelled anti-Semitic stuff out the window at them. And um, other people obviously were disturbed, horrified, upset. And his reaction, he said, and I'll never forget this, he goes, yes! <laughs> they think I'm Jewish! <laughs> it was just such a great, great story. I've never forgotten it. Anyway, my thanks to you both. Uh, my thanks to uh, Skylar Bader. She is the blogger behind You're Not Crazy. And Bethany Mendel, senior contributor to The Federalist. 
and a prolific writer on Twitter whose uh, work I enjoy every day, and I highly recommend it. Uh, My name is Mayor Fertig, and I thank you for tuning in. Let's close with Kol Achai. This is Amech Ami. Uh, Stay tuned for uh, Throwback Thursday, a vintage episode of JM and the AM from the archives uh, for this Thursday. And thank you to Yoni Pollock for doing a great job today. Thanks, everybody. And until next time, this is Mayor Fertig saying not everybody can have a snappy sign-off. Ah!